Hello everyone, welcome to the first episode of our special vampire season, which is very exciting, isn't it? Yes. I'm excited. You might not be, but I am out of my mind. <laughs> In the words of Dane Bowers. Yes. And uh, on today's episode, uh, we are covering Dracula. Yes. The Todd Browning 1931 film starring Bela Lugosi as The Count. We should introduce ourselves. I'm Ben. I'm Amelia. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the party zone. Please tell the people a little bit more than... Okay, who's Carl? Who made it? Who's Carl? Carl Lemley Jr. was the son of Carl Lemley, who was the founder of Universal Pictures, which is the studio that in the silent era had made a few what we might think of as horror films with uh, Lon Chaney. And yeah, and his son, the younger Carl Lemley Jr., was the driving force behind the what we now think of as the Universal horror films in the 30s, which really set, set up the genre yes. of the horror film, if you'd like, and gave us some of the iconography and the creatures that we think of as monsters monsters exactly proper horror film monsters it's no coincidence that within a run of a few years you have dracula frankenstein the mummy and the wolfman yeah uh, they all have their roots here although obviously they're all picking up on pre-existing older yeah. folkloric ideas but dracula's the first one this is the first in their run that it's pretty well, I think, still defines the character today. I think if you were asked oh, yeah. to draw, if you asked anybody, even somebody who wouldn't say that they'd seen any black and white films, if you asked them, what does a vampire look like? How does a va Can you draw a Dracula for me? They would draw Bella Lugosi. They would draw the Widow's Peak, the cape. Yeah. Black and, and red. Yeah. Even though it's in black and white. Exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and he would sound like the Count in Sesame Street. Or, yes. chronologically more accurately, it would sound like Bela Lugosi. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're starting, starting the season with a real foundational text, I think. Yes, I think so too. Um, should we crack on? Let's crack on. So here we are in generic foreign land. Yes. Um, <laughs> painted scenery is absolutely to die for in this film. Keep an eye out for it because it's proper actual factual artwork all of it looks like a rural puzzle from the 70s but it's yeah. you know it's, it's beyond that it's kind of a giant oil painting yes and uh, literally in some cases the uh, shot of the castle the shot of Dracula's castle yeah. that you see there, is is a glass painting in front of the lens with ah. some some real elements and some backdrop yes painted on glass and then put over the lens so that it obscures the top half of the screen, if that makes sense. So. Interesting. Yeah. I put, this mad English accent isn't okay. It's not Keanu Reeves, but it is bad. <laughs> well, yeah, this is an American idea of yeah. of Europe. Oh, no, it's... it's No, because the people aren't... Ha they don't have an English accent, the locals. It's the... Yes, Jonathan. Uh, um, yeah, no. well, yes, exactly. It should be Jonathan, yes. right? And and if you're familiar with the bare outline of the Dracula story, which we'll assume yeah. that people are, and in most versions of it, it would be Jonathan here. But this is Renfield, it turns yes. out. Yeah, no, you're right. You're I mean right. Europe in the sense of like Britain and Transylvania, right? because it's all the old world to the yeah, Americans. of course, of course, dead right. Yes, absolutely. But yes, Renfield here, I. And it's a good job too. Um, it's unrecognisable 
to Renfield later in the film. Yeah. Because Renfield here is incapable of act. Cannot. <laughs> can't do accent, can't make eye contact with people. And he's trying to be overly proper in a way that makes me think that his experience of English people is an American saying, would you like some tea and scones? <laughs> yes. You yes, know? he's very diffident and yeah. uh, not business obsessed, but does seem to set a great great deal of store in the rules and the, yeah. the arrangements and stuff, which, of course, plays against the superstitious peasants, yes. right? To use the language of, of the film, the way they're presented. Does... So the the peasants are talking about Dracula and his wives, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember if the guy says they leave their covens at night or does it say they leave their coffins at night and feed on the blood of the living? I imagine coffins. I think coffins, yes. But They said it twice, but the thick fake accent is real. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, no, it could be that I've, I've heard what I expect to hear, but that's my assumption, mm. coffins. It's worth talking here, I suppose, as well, about the fact that they do talk in English, thickly accented English sometimes, but a fair amount of their dialogue is unsubtitled Hungarian, I think it is. Um, Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Which is unusual. It's nice. It does make you feel like you are far from home. Sort of ratchets up that tension a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Here, take this out of focus crucifix for your mother's sake. <laughs> it's, again, the superstition of the village. It's his response to it of being like, trollolol, dumb little poor people. And that they won't pander to him is quite interesting. You know, the most they'll do is give him like a protective amulet, but then you're on your own, buddy. Yeah. And again, it's one of the staples. In fact, it's kind of drawn upon in lots and lots and lots of things. It's a proper trope of... Arrive in foreign place. Didn't take the time to learn the language because you're arrogant. Place doesn't go to that part of the river or doesn't go to that part, that island or won't go near that thing. And you can't quite tell why. Like, that's the other threat is that you know that you don't believe their superstitions, but you actually don't know where those have come from. And they are going to dump you there. Like (laughs) (laughs) If you're lucky. I mean, yes, it's very lucky to get the coachman to drive into the Borgo Pass at all. Yeah. But again, it's the assumption that the superstitions are primitive and backward and of, of no use to the modern man. No. This is one of the conflicts set up in the in the novel between the old and the new. Yes. It's strange to me to see a possum there. And I talk about this a lot with dogs in films and dogs in old paintings because of breeding and because of selective breeding of dogs. It's very rare to see the same breed look exactly the way it does in a very old painting of exactly the same dog with the same DNA, the same species, the same, you know, all this stuff. But seeing a possum, it's like, well, of course nobody's been breeding possums for their like extra long noses or anything. (laughs) You're going to recognise a possum. It just felt really strange to see it there in this setting because that's a possum from 90 years ago. I don't, I don't know why it just really took me for a second. And it was so clear as well. The copy we had was very beautifully remastered from the box set that universal put out a few years ago for their 100th birthday universal the company that made it reached 100 years as a company and so remastered 100 of their biggest films if you like you know they're historically important uh films Mm. and i think because it was an extremely popular film and because it's been in circulation Almost continuously, I think, all that time, you know, you've been able to find it. It means that the original elements were in fairly 
poor shape they've been duplicated and projected an awful lot yeah in that time which means that the copies that were going around were faded and scratchy and crackly and things whereas a, a film that was less popular it's been sitting in the vaults for 70 years or yeah. whatever it's still going to be in good shape when you come to it but they had to do a lot of work to to get it up to scratch but it is worth i think trying to track down a recent a recent copy sounds ridiculous a recent <laughs> copy of a 90 year old film but a copy that has been through this process because yeah. it does it really does enhance the experience i think yes it makes it seem more relatable more real and less like a novelty it's easier to take it seriously as a film yeah. rather than oh look the talkies you know <laughs> but yes the as you say the castle painting is absolutely outstanding i would have that painting on my wall and it's once we get there there's a possum but I love that scene uh, when we're at the pass, before we get to the castle itself, when we're at the pass when the Dracula's coach mm. comes to pick him up. And after their argument at the at the inn, where all of the locals seem very... They're like, please don't go ...frightened there. of this Dracula yeah. guy. We get, just get a cut, a scene of... And he said Harker again. It's not Harker. Renfield's Renfield. luggage being thrown out and the coach returning back to the inn as fast as it can possibly go. Yeah. Uh, which is really... It's really nice because, I don't know, I just feel like it, it expresses a lot more than the words yes, can. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then, yes, the the coachman from Dracula doesn't bother speaking. I say doesn't bother, but that's because he's a creepy guy. And, like, his job is to be a creepy guy. And then... Well, it's, it's Dracula. It's Dracula oh, yeah. dressed up again, which is a thing from the novel, a right. thing that comes through into this, uh, because Dracula doesn't have any servants because he's uh, hundreds of years all. old and a master of the undead. As we've seen, he's not a popular man yeah. in these parts, right? But he pretends uh, that he does. So he sa- you know, he says he'll send his coachman, uh, yeah. which, of course, is just, is just better to go see with a big scarf around his head. I wondered, because then, obviously, Renfield gets out of the coach to be like, can you slow down, mate? <laughs> and it's just a bat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I absolutely love bats. There are pictures of bats all over our home. So this was a real treat for me to see the sheer variety of use for a rubber bat. The fact I don't own a rubber bat as an adult is a travesty. We should get on that. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll fix that. A bat mobile. Not a batmobile, before anyone says it. Very but like different a mobile things. made of rubber bats. But yeah, we see him as a bat. Now, because oh, we, we... That's the thing. We, the audience, of course, haven't seen... Dracula as Dracula before, but I think that the, I think we get a decent shot of his face and his glowing eyes. Yes, it's a beautiful shot as well. It's yes. a shot and a trick that's repeated with Dracula that we're supposed to put it together in our minds that it's Dracula, mm-hmm. and this gives us our first indication that he can become a bat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and the bat was guiding the carriage. You know, like it looked like, as far as Renfield's concerned, <laughs> a bat just devil drove. Yeah, it's, but the bat is clearly guiding the carriage. Yeah. Um, yeah. This must be surely one of the original creaky doors um, I've written as well. Yeah, it must be. Where we have the creaky door as a horror sound effect to the point of where you could quite easily purchase, not 
now. Now you just go on Spotify. But you could have just purchased like a disc of horror film noises. Yeah, but even even still time. now, like a theme that you would have heard yeah. a few moments ago uh, incorporates the Wilhelm scream, yep. uh, which I just Googled and downloaded from a, from, <laughs> from a website that's very much the equivalent of these discs. Yeah. And I'm certain there would have been a creaky door on there. And it may very well have been this creaky door... Yeah, you know, from this from this film, it's certainly the sort of thing that did service for decades afterwards. But um, yes, the the sound film is only two or three years old at this oh point. Oh yeah, that's so good. So yes, it's probably one of the OG creaky doors. <laughs> yeah, and also the iconic wolf howling in in the distance. One thing I really like in this film is we never see the transformation from Dracula to animal, but it's done so theatrically. You know, it's done with good cutaways or sound effects rather than anything too clunky or difficult to yes. achieve on film but in doing so it makes it a really kind of theatre style hearkening back to it being a stage show that it's all doable and it's all it all really works it doesn't feel like a kind of shoehorned in oh I guess <laughs> I guess I'm just a bat you know it's, yeah. it's yeah and there's no, no and it, and it's quite elegantly done as well because yeah. it's the they are there's still films that do it that way when they don't have the budget to do a transformation scene where, yeah. but often they will sort of it will clunkily fall down behind a, a <laughs> sofa or something and then you get the you get the idea and then you know and then you get a jump cut to it whereas the editing in this is is sharp and is clean and yeah. it's well done so the there's a couple of times as well in his movements when he seems to go a little bit quick or he seems to almost float. Yeah. And I think I think the editing is sharp here as well to make him move around faster than he perhaps would be able to as a mortal man. Yeah. The house I want to live in. Oh, because one of my notes here is it's a little bit more decrepit than you might expect. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I mean, they're a resident armadillo. Yes. Which... You know, a wild armadillo appears. Yeah, I, I don't know how. Um, Are they very trans Transylvanian? Transylvanian? <laughs> Was he in Transylvania? No, he's in Germany. No, where is he? Well, I mean, Transylvania would be in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, I think. Yeah, okay, at this point. fair enough. So we're all, you know, but yes. It's not really armadillo country, though. I wouldn't have said so. <laughs> no, maybe it's just like these are strange. Um, <laughs> he oh, probably has these as pets. Citation needed, but the IMDb trivia page suggests that they were suspected to dig up graves or they rather they they ah. did dig up graves sometimes because they're burrowing they're animals. burrowing for termites and, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes so they were associated in, in the popular mind with d- desecrating graves fascinating that's so interesting yes good point i wonder if that's true but yes the dilapidated big house i would still live there look it's a it's a tower on top of a hill that is a painting and then when you get closer to it it's a real thing like i want to live there mm. perfect no and we were speculating when you first get this shot of the great or the hall or whatever yeah. you know the the vestibule where um young renfield comes in we were speculating on is that a real set I think is it, it is. A, is it a painting? But then a few moments later, we see the ghostly on those stairs. And yeah. Later on, we see people interacting with the set in a real way. Well, for a different one for Carfax Abbey, but it's clear that they had the scale yep. and the large backlots available, you know, and, and sound stage, stages to create enormous sets like this, which they did, and they kept standing for a couple of decades later. So um, they. 
uh, you know, it turns up again in several other horror films over the next sort of 20 or 30 years. There was an opera stage set built for the Phantom of the Opera, the um, silent one, the Lon Chaney one, which is one of the silent universal horror films that I wasn't able to think of earlier that I think was demolished in 2007 mm-hmm. uh, but was stood for 90 years and was right. used almost whenever they needed an opera house uh, set okay, for anything. Yeah, yeah. I think I think does some did some duty in one of the Muppet movies as the Muppet Theatre if I remember rightly and you know hundreds of other things as well. Yeah. So yeah they were they were a bit of an investment these sets but they served them well. Well one of the things we said was we saw um I was on a bit of a Frankenstein kick recently, or last year actually, <laughs> last year. It's, uh, I mean, it's what is time? Isn't it? And we watched Kenneth Branagh's terrible Frankenstein, <laughs> and he actually has a really similar staircase that looks like it's a direct take. Yes. From that one, and also the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula, which we will be looking at next vampire season. Spoilers, but it's Spoilers. I mean obviously it was coming. It's one of my favourites and it's actually one of my favourite films, so it would be dum dum not to do that. But yeah. uh, they also use the staircase to their full advantage. It's a real it became a real trope, I would say, probably from Nosferatu, actually, rather than Dracula. There's a lot of creeping up and down stairs. Yeah. Um so the stairs become more and more drama. You know, get bigger and bigger, get more and more romantic. A lot of this set looks like the West Wing in Beauty and the Beast. Oh. Yes. Mm. Yeah, it's a big sort of gothic pile, fallen, isn't it? A fallen European yeah. manor. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. Tower house. And he also the scale and size of it means that Renfield, when we, when he comes in and yeah. when we meet Dracula here, is he looks really tiny. He looks small. He looks insignificant. Yeah, which is scale is something that is hard, but is done very well here. I felt like it was really important to mention the size of the cobwebs. There is a painting of a cobweb behind. What I could identify just about was it's a painting of of cobwebs behind Dracula when he's at the top of the stairs. Mm-hmm. But it also, as you say, it makes Renfield look tiny. So he becomes a fly in this moment, right? Yep. Because he's wandered into this cobwebby place. But I just had a look to see how they could possibly make fake cobwebs. Because he does walk into some and that's not painted. No, yeah, he's wandering through them. Yeah, but no. the painted one is very, very perfect behind him. And it's all structured and it looks like a piece of 20s architecture yeah. in the background. The stuff they've made, I think, might be stretched and teased out cotton wool basically uh then there's a wolf and he says oh no he doesn't hang on wait 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 wait. i am dracula beautiful thanks <laughs> but yes that's uh this is the dracula voice this is what we still think of as the dracula voice my understanding certainly from seeing bella lugosi in a few other films is that that was that's his voice that's sort of very close <laughs> to how he talks. But Bela Lugosi being Hungarian by yeah. birth, coincidentally, rather on the money for Drac, uh, how yeah. Dracula might sound, were Dracula real. Uh. I thought he's the absolute effing boss. Um, <laughs> and there's a wolf howl after he says it, of yes. course. Are you going to say the, the line? Are you going to do the accent? <laughs> I'll have a go. Listen Mine won't be as good the, as yeah. yours. <laughs> Listen to them, children of the night. What music they make. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he's not Greek, but <laughs> that's fine. Um, it is a very doable voice, and we'll, I'll come on to that later on. But yeah, 
again, in several of these lists of best movie lines ever, etc., etc., a very famous one, picked up and parried yes. again and again and again. There's a guest plastic spider? <laughs> yeah, well, the the whole... It's one of a few shots that say the spider and the armadillo, uh, that we mentioned the possum, that the... Castle Dracula really is sort of teeming with life. It's rotting like it's a just, corpse. Yes, exactly, mm. exactly. Maggot. I put, ah, this is Renfield. Mm. So yes, as we alluded to, yes. this is what we might consider to be traditionally the Jonathan Harker role. Mm-hmm. And this is a a switch, a switcheroo. If yes, you like. I will say, like, if we needed proof that the set was real, that is a massive real fireplace. Mm. Um, in action, it's a wall-length fireplace, absolutely beautiful, and the light on Dracula's face obviously is next level. He is lit every time we see him. He's lit like magic eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was thinking about this because he's lit like a femme fatale almost yeah. with a thing. Film but noir it, stuff. Yeah, he's lit like a vamp, right? Uh, uh... You know, in the sort of Theodora tradition, it's his eyes, but also his stare and the way. Lugosi sort of holds himself. Yeah. He has the bearing of an aristocrat. Yes. Can he speak English, I've put? <laughs> Can Lugosi speak yeah. English? Well, as far as I understand, yes, he could. This weird thing that comes up, it has been said a few times in a few different sources, that he learnt his lines phonetically, mm. uh, that he wasn't um, a great English speaker, but I, I don't think that's true, um, having looked into it. It seems that he spoke English as well as he ever could. He never seemed to lose the accent, mm-hmm. but it's certainly not true that he was just reciting off a cue card the phonetic sounds. However, that may have come from the fact that he played it on stage before the film. Yeah, uh, Him and, I think, Edward Sloan is the actor who plays Van Helsing both transferred from the Broadway stage play, which this film is adapted from. And when he started in that, he was a very lowly actor who... Yes. Uh, so it, it is possible that his English wasn't so hot when he started. Yeah, fair enough. Whoopsie doodle. Mm-hmm. Renfield's bleeding. Yes. Um, <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful scene, this. It's incredibly... like, And I, you're going to hear me say this a lot because obviously the parallel between Dracula and vampire stories and sex is really, really closely knit. You know, they've sure. always been a part of each other. The behaviour of your typical garden variety vampire allows for the boundaries that were put in place by, say, a Victorian society or way earlier to go, ah, it is a monster. Mm-hmm. Tisn't a man touching necks of ladies. <laughs> Tis evil beast. Also, there's an ankle. Yes. You know, like, <laughs> also, this is all happening in a negligee, and you can't read this one out loud. So, it's, with that in mind, like, the sexual stuff, it is us... Put, us. <laughs> implicate you as well. Please. It is us putting it on there, but also, like, some of it just really, really is. And I would say that this scene has... And most of the scenes with Renfield and Dracula has some serious fetishistic homosexual overtone. Oh, definitely. This is not a coincidence, I think. No. And this is something that's in the novel as well. This is right. in, the, in the source material. It's one, I mean, we, we, don't, we don't have time to talk about all of the interpretations <laughs> of Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. But 
sexuality is certainly in there. Yeah. It's certainly, it's certainly brought through in here as well. And this is 1931, so we are a couple of years before the production code, known as the Hayes Code, comes in in Hollywood, a censorship code. Yeah. And it was... It, came into being partly in reaction to films a little bit like this yeah that, that things were a bit a little bit too suggestive and when after 1933 a couple of bits were cut a couple of the sort of slightly more explicit the homosexual stuff is quite light and quite coded anyway there isn't really much explicit but it is definitely it's definitely there if you look for it yeah well you know he's bleeding from his tip and puts it in his own mouth Mm, and Dracula looks on hungrily. Yes. Yes. Um, is where I was going with it. And then what I love here is we get a proper Dracula move, but it's because that little crucifix, the blurry crucifix that the local gave him, is sort of vaguely seen in shot, and Dracula gets to do his like <laughs> hand movement <laughs> thing that's, that's amazing. That kind of yeah. cape up looks at him like he's betrayed him you know like how dare you wear a completely innocent icon yeah. from the village and and recoils in horror and it's really great and it's, I, it's one of the rules right one of the vampire rules yeah i mean uh, it's one of the rules it's more for me it's the arm thing i worked in catering for about 13 years and for a lot of that was teaching people how to make coffees and how to do food prep and stuff and one of the main things that goes through my head when I think of Dracula is Dracula sneezing. When you're working with food and when you're working, probably not so much now or more so now, uh, but when you're working with food or drink, if you feel a sneeze coming on, you sneeze into the crook of your arm. So the way to get them to remember I would Dracula call it a Dracula sneeze because you put your cape up like you're defending from a cross. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I did wonder <laughs> I, I have faith and I let you know, I let you carry on with that story <laughs> but I did wonder where that was but yeah, and that, the, uh, this is Lugosi, right? The cape the arm. arm thing mm. uh, is traceable from here. There are a few elements to this portrayal that, uh, vampire elements, if you'd like, that yeah. predate even Stoker's novel, because the vampire is not a new thing. But yeah. as far as I'm aware, this mo- this extremely characteristic motion yeah. is is from Lugosi. Yeah. Well, I never drink wine. That was added to the stage play. Yeah. The stage play has been continued to be produced ever since. Wow. Uh, but it was the play was rewritten sometime after this to put things like that in because ah. audiences expected it. Yes, of course. That makes total sense. I mean, he looks at Renfield like he's watching someone baste a chicken. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like the, the look is just, ah, oh, dinner. Yes, yeah. No, it's more. predatory. And this is part of the sexual element yes. as well. Yeah. I've just put, I love him. So I was a big <laughs> fan of Bella. Slow-mo bat makes a man faint. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and other uh, newspaper titles I'd like to see. It's, it's Renfield's response, right, to... Yeah, he really wigs out. He really does, yeah. Wigging out is a great way to put it. Dracula's wives turn up. They are incredibly flawless and beautiful. Their dresses move in such an incredible way. Mm. Yeah, it's where we see that the prop department would still have Victorian nightdresses in it. Yeah. And any kind of theatre supplies that they had, like the vast majority of the cast would have been born with Queen Victoria still in power. Yes. It's, these things are, are not just going to be chucked away. So the movement of that stuff, these are opulent dresses and they're meant to look dated 
in the context of the 1930s because this is an old count in a decrepit castle who is gentry basically yeah you know it's it, everything's quite cobwebbed anyway so it <laughs> makes sense for them to be yes yeah, like a lot of the aristocracy he goes back a long way yes yes <laughs> just happens that it's he who goes back yeah not his family mm-hmm. how do they light his eyes like that two very small spotlights one per eye it was really in, yeah i'm amazed he's not squinting then mm. I said they must have had quite a big budget to have those boat scenes because they're really, really quite well done. They are really quite well done. They weren't done for this. Uh, they were <laughs> from a from a silent that was uh, no. some years earlier in the Universal vaults Cheats. that they repurposed. Genius. Well, it works it. very well. It's really nicely done. And again, there wasn't money spent on it. It just wasn't for yeah. this purpose. But it also explains the sort of weird disconnect to the scenes of Renfield down below. Um, mm. When it the sea is obviously much calmer than true. than the, the, <laughs> the establishing shots of this storm lashed bark that we get. Mm. The boat itself is model work. I noticed mm. when it's not with people on it. Yeah, but really nicely done. I feel like it's photographed in a tank so that you can have water on the screen, and it's very dynamic. No, it, it is really well done. The budget of this was was much reduced right. from the original plans. Because of the Great Depression, they didn't oh have, you know, the didn't money, have any was, money. <laughs> money wasn't there. I mean, this was f- fantastically successful, beyond all sort of reason. Yeah, and, uh, it's often said to be the film that saved the studio. You know? But it, wow. but they did have to um, cut back on their plans for staging it. One of the reasons it's based on the play, I think, rather than the novel directly. Yeah is um, a financing one, even though say, the, the journey to England from Europe is intact, the boat trip is there. If you're looking at Stoker's novel, there's a hell of a lot going on, but mm. it would be very difficult to film even now without a decent budget behind it. And there's a reason yeah. why you know most people don't bother so much. You know, I've only seen a single adaptation that has a scene of Dracula crawling down the walls to get out of his castle, which is what Harker sees when he looks out of the window yeah. at the beginning of the of the book. Which I mean, yeah, yeah, I know how you could do it, but it also features a lot of cross country chasing uh, <laughs> towards the end, a boat chase. <laughs> yeah, people quite happily sort of dashing across continents and things like that, which yeah. would be difficult to film. And I think they originally planned because uh, Carl Lemley had wanted to film Dracula. For a long time, I think he was right. he was examining it a decade earlier. Uh, wow. to dip. One of the difficulties he was having was getting the rights because Nosferatu was done in 1922, yep. the, the German silent, and uh, quite famously they did not have the rights uh, to adapt Dracula. And nope. uh, Stoker, Bram Stoker was dead uh, by this point, sadly. Well, I mean, maybe not sadly, he didn't, no money coming from it. But um, Mrs. Stoker, his widow, tried very hard to get all of the prints of Nosferatu destroyed and very nearly succeeded. Uh, we're lucky that a few Mad. did survive. But yes, she was rather, rather protective of her late husband's intellectual property, which is, I suppose, fair yeah. enough, exactly. So it uh, it took a while to get this underway. I love the dead being tied to the wheel and sh- only shown in shadow. That's mm. really stunning. It really worked. And then this terrifying laughter from below deck, that like, a Renfield crack-a-lacking. And this is where Dwight Fry really, Incredible. Uh, really comes into his own. It's that shot down the s- stairs, if you'd like, from the deck, of him 
his face looking up at the at the camera and looking yeah. up at us, of course, looking up at the audience and, and that, yeah, that horrible laugh. Yeah. It's, oh, it's a great performance because he's like a different person yeah. to we meet in the opening. Yeah, totally. Actually, again, going down the um, homosexuality theme, strong Alistair Crowley and Ooh. his favourite man-servant vibes. Really interesting. Yeah, right. I've just listened to another <laughs> another podcast about... Alistair Crowley and his shenanigans and the man that he made go mad. His shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, the man that he made go mad, his favourite boy toy who he drove mad essentially with sodomy, but who was also madly in love with him. Mm. It's really tragic, but also really gripping. And I feel like it's a really similar dynamic. And in fact, the whole calling him master thing makes sense. Yeah. Renfield's relationship with Dracula is, mm. is interesting because we hardly ever get to see them interacting properly we see i think we yes. see like uh dracula i don't even remember if we see him bite when well, we very rarely see dracula we bite don't people. see him bite we no. just see the, the cape come mm. over uh, but we but and then the next time we see him he's this crazy man yep but um, he spends a lot of his time later on beseeching and hymning and praising yeah. dracula Soul survivor, a raving maniac. I love that. I've written yeah. that down as well. Um, the flower girl that we see in the next scene is beautiful, and then ellipsis, and now he's eaten her. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Dracula in in these London scenes. Yeah. Is um, I've I've written you know we're in Victorian with air quotes around it, yeah. and then London with air quotes around yeah. it as well. But Dracula looks at home here in a top hat and a cape, yeah. and he also. To me, the foggy streets, it brings to mind Jack the Ripper and the Very White so. House. Whitechapel. Whitechapel. The Whitechapel murders. Mm. Yeah, he's well, an aristocrat, but he's also authentically sort of other. He's yeah, he's moving at a different pace to everyone else, which is what country bumpkins do when they get to London, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Very nice. They are consistently going slower. Yeah. And, and not even the looking around. It's just it's a different way of life. Yeah. You don't realise you're rushing when you live in London until you get near the Cotswolds, and then suddenly everyone's in slow-mo. And one of the big themes of the novel is modernity, mm. in, uh, which is exemplified by our vampire-hunting international gang of heroes, mm -hmm. right, against the ancient, folkloric, superstitious, literally hundreds of years old, yep. old world as exemplified in the Count, right, who is a member of the aristocracy, even. Yeah. That doesn't come up doesn't come out so much in here, but it's it's still a current that runs through it, I think. Mm. There's a fetish police cape in the background. <laughs> nice uh, PVC PC. Very uh, nice. I want it. Uh, the shape of Bela Lugosi and his poise are so perfect. Oh, it's wonderful, isn't um, it? Just that straight back down. You know, I'm, a, I'm an extremely curvy human being. I will never <laughs> wear a cape and not have my bum showing somehow. But that lovely straight, poker straight spine. Uh, he goes to the theatre next. The reason that I've got a note on this is because when he's at the theatre, he hypnotises or he mesmerises. He does. It. I've put Dracula can hypnotise. Yeah. Mm. Go on. Which is interesting and not something, not something that you see sort of terribly regularly. No. In vampire myths, all the way through this, I'm sort of keeping an eye out for the law and how it is, what is established here, how it works in this film, because yep. it's slightly different in every vampire film, I think, and yep. they often will have a scene where these points of, the, of of order, if you like, or the the rules are yeah. established. Yeah, 
And I think things like Buffy and Underworld and more modern takes on the vampire mythology, when they do have vampires that can hypnotise, it's because different vamps have different skills mm. or different vamps are able. All vampires are have a vague awareness of psychic ability in some way. Uh, it's just some of them can tap into it and some of them can't. Good. So they're at the theatre and Jonathan Harker is beautiful like next level stunning human being i don't understand he looks like he's been drawn by someone who was like daydreaming um <laughs> and it really is here that this is the first time i think that we really see that it's set in the 1930s because up till then we've been in an old shambles of a house an old shambles of a local village where villagers just dress like villagers they're not yeah. really 20s villagers or 30s villagers and our only modern man has been corrupted, so even he's not dressing as someone of the time would. He's probably quite uncouth. He's probably got his tie in the wrong place and sort of half a shirt hanging out. So to see the two worlds collide with Dracula in full regalia, including his pendant thing to show rank, essentially. The yeah. the beautiful medallion that's supposed to be... You were talking about Sars, I guess... Yeah, to me it brings to mind... Not Tsars. You were some, talking about Tsars. Yeah, as in the Tsar of Russia, the yeah. the Romanov family. To me it sort of conjures up generic Eastern European nobility. Yeah. And I understand that, that from what you were saying that was its intention. Yeah, basically. Um, it's not been identified. They've not managed to find the props. They've just kind of gone walkabouts. But it looks like it was based on some sort of maybe a war medallion from Afghanistan but it's it's to give the idea that he's been around and that he is of a high status yes he's a nobleman yes. I, I mean this is also in what you were saying about him being ramrod straight poker yeah. straight back and it's so much of his a physical performance of the way Lugosi carries himself and yeah. holds himself and you never see him bow yeah mm. or you never see him bowed you know he will he will. He can show deference on his terms when he wants yep. to, and he can be ingratiating. And we see that at the theatre yep. when he's chatting with um, Doctor Seward. I think is is there. It's Doctor Seward and Jonathan, and then the two girls. So it's Mina and Lucy. Mm. Yeah. And here he's 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 very charm. He's very old world charm. Yeah. But you know he's he's not so imperious. He's not so icy. He is almost friendly. Uh, he yeah. still has a mystique about him. Well, he has a mystique about him that. Uh, that Lucy uh, likes and Mina is less um, interested in. Well, he feels to me like, this is a strange analogy, but like a very, very old school sommelier. Oh. And it's like he's learnt how to be... He never drinks wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's like Sorry. he's he's learnt how to be kind from the servants rather than because it comes naturally to him. So he's yeah. being the kind of servant that you would get at a place where you have to tip the guy that washes the, your hands in the men's loo. Yeah. So it's like all of it comes from a different world. And he's definitely supposed to be from an older time period than them because they're treating him like a relic in a, in a way. They're mm. nice to him, but they're yeah. still a bit like, what what a weird man. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, he's clearly foreign as well, right? Yes. There are other treatments of this that make him much more of an English gentleman. But yeah. here he's every inch a gentleman, but he's... 
exotic. And then he has that other. nice kind of speech, which again gets Lucy's motor running, being a big old goth, saying, to die, to be really dead, that must be glorious. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And she's there like, whew, love me a goth boy, the Lucy is, while yeah. Nina's sort of like, that old guy is weird. I, I wish he would leave. <laughs> I've yeah. just written a bat. I love bats with a heart. I don't uh, my notes are not helping me today. No. <laughs> um, I suppose we've talked about the bat, um, the rubber bat before. I think it is the one point at which the film betrays its age. and It always looks sort of rather cute rather than sinister, the bat. I feel like two things were happening. One, there weren't enough people studying, like, in Hollywood at mm-hmm. that point, studying bats. Yeah. And bat movement. They were just like, what's a bat? Oh, it's that. Oh, it's freaky. Let's make it jump around like freaky. And the <laughs> other one is a bit of budget because you would need six bits of string instead of one, you know, to make the yeah. wings look look convincing. I also suspect that there have been cut scenes where they tried to make a bat look convincing up close and couldn't do a damn thing. That's, enti- that's very plausible. Yeah. yeah. Um, because and they're actually- difficult and they don't look real. Like, that's part of the reason I love them. So even if you're trying to fake a bat, you might fake a bat perfectly. It'll still look like a fake bat. That's true. And actually, I've seen modern versions of Dracula, the BBC's most recent one, <laughs> uh, also didn't manage to produce uh, convincing bats with uh, with true. their budget. <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you saying it may have been cut. I understand that Todd Browning's original cut was about 10 minutes longer when he'd finished it and it was re-edited uh, just before release and he wasn't terribly happy with it but I think it was studio inter- you know, studio interference is an old, old story in Yeah, Hollywood. it turns out even when, you're, when your studio is just beginning yeah. it can still be a pain in the backside As I said, some other bits were then later cut post-Hayes code as well although some of them were later reinstated but I think it used to have a prologue and uh, uh no an epilogue when we get to the end one of the things is it does end rather abruptly it wasn't always thus but I'll, mm. I'll come back to that when we get there interesting dracula creeping to lucy he's creeping to her i believe it's at night isn't it she's got ready for bed and he oh, starts yes. creeping towards her and he's creeping towards her with his hand out a certain way he looks like an animal pouncing we don't see the actual bite we see him near her neck and then the cape goes up for a big yeah. old dracula sneeze what I really, really loved and what struck me as feeling really modern was the immediate cutaway to surgery, to the surgery where they are doing the autopsy on clearly dead Lucy. Yeah, you know, oh yeah. it's immediate. Mm. Like we don't get, and I feel like, yes, that's probably one of the scenes that got cut yeah. because doubtless there was a moment where she did a little sigh or something and someone accidentally popped an erection and it had to be cut. <laughs> but... I also think it was brilliant. It really works, and it's really quite shocking that they just killed her off immediately. Yeah. Often in the Dracula mythos, if you like, in in part of the story, is the gradual deterioration. Well, again, to get the metaphor in there, the promiscuous teen who is being punished for allowing sexy thoughts into their brain, but through the medium of bloodsucking, right? (laughs) But it's the the hope of his mother thing again yeah well there's a wonderful bit in the novel when lucy is in in bed yeah weakened by loss of blood from promiscuous living slash being drained by a vampire mm-hmm. please delete is appropriate when she is lamenting that she cannot just marry three men because she loves them all and she doesn't <laughs> want to have to choose between them yeah um which you know i will let i will let stand uh <laughs> yeah totally. and i mean as it is 
it's Todd Browning, of course, has a bit of a history with outcasts and and inverted commas mad people. Um, sure. But although actually, only to us because actually freaks is in the future from this. Yes, so. but <laughs> but we can we can say because we are viewing this at ninety years distance, yeah. and we can say that. It it certainly feels to me that like Renfield Renfield is uh, Renfield is in the novel of course, but the treatment of Renfield here mm. and the the character of of Renfield does feel like a very Todd Browning thing, a very Absolutely. Todd Browning idea. Well, Todd Browning had a very specific idea of what was frightening, and what what was frightening was the outcast to Todd, sure. um, and things that exist on the fringe of society was like if you said horror to him he'd be like that's horrifying Mm. sadly that does mean people with disabilities and people who are mad you know who are insane clinically but it's interesting how they're portrayed i wanted to talk about freaks just briefly i studied it many many years ago for a small time the portrayal of the freaks themselves or the disabled people themselves or the the all of the people involved in that film Mm-hmm. isn't it it isn't without respect and that's so interesting we kind of went backwards with hollywood they have full lives they live completely normally but on the outskirts this is what i mean like sure. it's the outcast element that's supposed to be disturbing rather than or is disturbing or what he's trying to communicate is that the outcast bit is disturbing but that they're completely capable human beings having romances having lives having dramas within their own community and we're allowed into that with the presence of an able-bodied woman mm. um in this case and part of the frisson and of the of why freaks works is an able-bodied audience's distaste yes for what for for what they see and oh i haven't expressed that well it's it's almost as if like the an able-bodied audience supplies its own ideas. I haven't expressed that. No, I know what you're saying. You're saying if I get what you're saying right, mm-hmm. it's that basically, if people see a double entendre in what you're saying, and you call them dirty-minded, sure, right? Because yes. you didn't say I don't know, cocks out at dawn. <laughs> you know. You were thinking like three chickens, yeah, and that person was like lol morning wood, yes, you know it's that kind of thing, so I think yes, it's allowing the audience to either view it as a drama involving an able bodied person and several disabled people mm-hmm. versus how can this woman allow them near her and all the strange things that come up. Sure. around that that are projected by the, the audience yeah, it's, it's the audience's pre- it's the audience's prejudices and fears that are being activated yes in it, yeah and similarly there's this idea that this man who was a stand-up citizen a stand-up english man who was a businessman could become an outcast so freely so easily um and again let's look at it as homosexuality deeply illegal yeah deeply frowned upon deeply known about and uh <laughs> acknowledged as something that people were but also again the outcast and again insanity he has a lot of power in this film Renfield and he's so unpredictable he changes so frequently that he is troubling when he's on screen it is troubling to watch him 
because he's a brilliant actor. Oh, it's, it's a, a Dwight Fry. Dwight Fry. Mm. But he's also the only character who seems to sort of fight against, that we see, fight against Dracula's influence like that. Yes. There are a couple of other occurrences, but there are periods when he's entirely under Dracula's control, and then there are these really heartbreaking moments where he plays it it's very human. Yes. Where he's he's trying to save Mina, trying to save Lucy. Yeah. Before he's overpowered again. Yeah. I also get seriously Norman Bates vibes from Renfield yeah. as well throughout, which again is that old coding for homosexual. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's the the in love with his mother hates his father psychopath yep. that stuck around as code for gay. Mm. For bloody decades. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely decades. It was just a known thing that that's probably a gay. It's fascinating. What was I going to say? Uh, calm down, Dick Van Dyke's dad. Oh, yeah. Oh, that Redfield awful, and Martin. Awful guy. The vaudeville stage's newest sensation coming to a sanatorium near you. Yes. They're, they're often paired together, those two. So you have the most, in some ways, the most horrifying character. Yeah. Not to take anything away from Lugosi's power or performance. He's not there's... horrifying yeah, exactly. to us. And I think Renfield is horrifying mm. to us. Um, Paired with the broadest comic relief yeah. <laughs> that you could you could possibly have, I think. An original character for the film. I, I, have, I wasn't able to find out whether it was in the stage adaptation or not, but I suspect it might be. I put that Renfield is impressively ghastly. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Yeah. Go along with that. Um, these rubber bats are bringing me so much joy. <laughs> I'm glad you like them. More bat notes. Dracula had the look. Oh, uh, yeah. Dracula has the look of a Japanese fighting mask or a kabuki mask when he bites Mina. Ah. His whole face contorts and it's really odd. I don't know how he makes his mouth go down like that. It's It must be lighting as well to make the mouth seem wider. No, I can see it. I can see it in my mind although of course like like earlier when i had to ask do we see him bite renfield we, we'd never see him bite anybody bite actually bite people no yeah but but in in memory and in my mind we do because of the way that it's done yeah absolutely. so when i when i when i think about it and when i picture it i see his teeth going in interesting and we never do no that's but so it, interesting and again it's in his performance and in it, it's in his face and the the way he conveys the obvious intent yeah and the power i suppose yeah why have I written, let's think about something cheerful? Is that know. somebody's advice to Mina? I think it might be. Bloody Jonathan, I've put in brackets. <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's think about something cheerful. Jonathan, 100% gaslighting every, every turn. Jonathan, despite being incredibly beautiful, is the most impotent character in this whole production. Oh, it. definitely. And again, that's an interesting and choice word there, <laughs> given the... Yeah. Sexuality that vampire that the, the vampire Dracula does seem to exude, you mm. know, and again, which comes in a great deal more in in later adaptations when people felt more able to sort of express sexuality in yeah. film, right? But which is definitely here in this suave, charming aristocratic man which whereas Jonathan is so bloodless weirdly so yeah ineffectual yeah absolutely and and yeah just weak just taken in by anything and <laughs> angered by it and deeply jealous of any connection between 
Mina and this stranger. Mm. On the one hand, yeah, you can understand that, but his response to it is to kind of throw stuff and stump about, and that's the direct opposite of this cold, calm, slow, hotty. Powerful man. Yeah. And whereas Dracula has his analogue and his confrontations with... Uh, Dr. Van Helsing, yes, who's another exotic figure, right? He's another stranger. Uh, stranger. He's 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 foreign. He's Dutch, I think, in the book, and that might be a Dutch accent. Who knows? Who knows? It's very uh, Scottish. <laughs> yeah, it's very Scottish. Uh, who knows? Who is a just a just a much tougher man than Jonathan? You know, Jonathan never really. Yeah, well, he's a much older man. That's true. But he's not as old as Dracula. <laughs> no, I know. Um, in fact, I love that Van Helsing is compared directly to Dracula. Um, I almost feel like they suggest that Van Helsing's been chasing him for as long as Dracula's been alive. Sure. Um, so when Van Helsing goes to examine Mina's neck, he does the exact same hand motion as he reaches for her as Dracula did. That's Identical. A very good spot. Really interesting. And also with Jonathan and the girls, I suppose, because Lucy is weirdly almost an afterthought in this film. She's, yeah. She's um, foregrounded a lot more in other adaptations. Wait, Lucy, yeah? Lucy, who is the first uh, to die. Yeah. Although, you know, she'll be back. Uh, <laughs> this is the nature of these things. But the morning after meeting Dracula for the first time, when they are discussing Dracula's charms, if you'd like, yeah. it is Lucy who has her head turned by this yeah. and is more receptive to where where Mina says something along the lines of a nice normal man like Jonathan you know yeah. like, not exactly the line but it's pretty close until she comes into well until she's until she's taken by Dracula right? until she loses her innocence mm-hmm. until whatever this other side of her is awakened by Dracula yes yeah he knows who you are you're effed that's me talking <laughs> about Van Helsing um spotting Dracula and being like oh hey I know you and the face I love their mutual respect and disdain thing Mm. it's a really nice dynamic Dracula has no reflection this scene is stunning it's so nicely done Mm. Dracula stays very regal he stays very polite really composed and then (laughs) yeah and then I imagine that they just film the whole scene shot it through the camera lens without Dracula there Yes, you know. Yeah, and they'll have a mark for him to be on, so yeah. that they film them, film it through with him there and with him not there. But it's but, really good. But exactly, there. Are, even though it is sort of simple, you put it like that. There are numerous pratfalls and numerous ways to do it wrong. Yes, which they, they avoid all of them. But um, it's an interesting choice, narratively, for Van Helsing to take the path that he does. It's not enough. He he, he notices that Dracula is, does yeah. not appear in the mirror, but then makes it clear to Dracula that he knows. Yes. And I love this, the hitting the mirror out of Van Helsing's hand and losing composure completely. Um, yeah. Relatable content, because I feel like I do have a bit of that coiled snake vibe sometimes. Yeah. And then somebody will say something and I'll either break character, if you like, and laugh, or there'll be some motion where I get the urge to just knock something off a table. And it's so, like, it is a cat. You know, yeah. it's, it's a yeah. cat skitting Absolutely. And it's um, the animal with Dracula. Mm. Underneath, it's like what you were saying about his politeness being learned and his yes. politeness being... Examined. Yes. Yeah. And the sense that there's underneath that, there is this yeah. vicious killer never far away from the surface. No. You know? They just like mirrors. Yes. And yeah, you know too much to live, Van Helsing, is the line of... I've written down. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, a very a very clear threat. 
and it's yes. their first sort of proper confrontation together. it is and it you know dracula kind of takes his leave and leaves them to have the horror film trope conversation you know um, so that somebody sets out the rules yeah scream did it best sure. scream where they actually made it a point of reference that everybody should just know these but we're going to do the thing where we lay out the rules yeah in the, the middle of the film, film. Yeah. yeah so they're laying out the rules for dracula Sometimes a wolf, mostly a bat. I've written quite a lot of notes about Jonathan's collots, but actually that's the most <laughs> interesting thing about him. They're lovely trousers. And then this lovely quote, and I won't try the accent because, frankly, it's it ain't Dutch, but the strength of a vampire is that people will not believe in him. Mm. I love it. I love it. It's so true. Because you can get away with everything. Yeah. You know, if you're like, oh, yeah, it's a vampire. <laughs> Sounds like you probably got bit by a mythical creature. You know, no one's going to go for that. And then you can carry on biting away. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen this in Ginger Snaps from a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. She's sexily enveloped. So um, Mina is sexily enveloped in Dracula's cloak in the garden. Yeah. While they're all chatting about the rules, she's been spirited away. And yeah, I'd have that as a poster. That's hot. <laughs> that is hot. Dracula's sort of last line in that confrontation I've written down is, you know, Dr. Van Helsing will explain before this happens. Right? Yes. Which is a, which, so th- what they're doing is they're sizing each other up and they both tip the other off. Yeah. That they're, that, what w- both of those lines yep. are doing is that Van Helsing and then Dracula are making it very plain to each other mm. that they know the stakes, they know who they are. Yeah. And that they are declared hostilities. Yeah. Dead right. Also, there's a statue of an incredibly buff man in a towel in the background all through the confrontation. You <laughs> noticed that? Yeah, I did. Weird. Weird. <laughs> um, I think it's important as well to note that blood power only mm. lasts sunset to sunrise, which makes the kill factor of Dracula much higher than some vampires. The kill factor? The kill number. Mm. Mm. It would make the potential number... You'd have to kill... You have to kill every night. You know, interview yeah. for, interview with a vampire, you can kill a rat and maybe live for two days. Right. But because it only lasts sunrise to sunset, you have to kill to live. Yes. Uh, which is a different element that I think is important, but it also makes sense with the ending. Mm. Well, is this a good time to talk about more of the vampire rules and the sunlight thing? Yeah, go for it. Because one of the things I was checking up on is in Nina Auerbach's book... Our vampires ourselves. She makes the very good point that, unlike in a lot of later vampire adaptations, a lot of later Dracula adaptations, mm. uh, light uh, isn't fatal to vampires in Bram Stoker's novel, and probably isn't here. There are a couple of times when it is sort of ambiguous as to whether, certainly as in Stoker's book, they have more power at night. Mm. But that doesn't necessarily follow that stepping into light will instantly reduce Dracula to ashes. No. And I wondered where that came from. And if you are wondering where that comes from, it seems to first appear in Nosferatu. Yes. But here, you know, there's no suggestion that we just have to sort of keep him sitting by the window until sunrise and we'll win. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, that's fairly that's, succinct. That's your lot. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's your lot. Uh, but Lol Renfield being very unwell, Jonathan waves at a rubber bat. <laughs> yes, they get a lot of mileage out of that flapping bat. Creepy laugh makes maid faint, so yep. Renfield can eat her? Question mark. Well, Renfield, at this point, 
as he well. He just loves rats. Just keeps well, yeah, and I think it says the 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 blood is the life is a line yes. that comes in here as well as in the the Francis Ford Coppola one. Well, he it looks like he's going to eat the woman. He hasn't actually harmed a human life yet because he's he yes. only craves bugs, right? And then he craves things bigger than bugs. So he goes from spiders up to mice, up to rats, up to cats, and he's like desperate for a cat to eat because it's got more life than the other things yes so when he does his kind of uh, uh, laugh it makes the maid faint maids traditionally in in dracula apparently are just awful um (laughs) and it looks like he's going to eat her but we cut away so maybe that's him finally getting his hands on human 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 blood and i will say it's here that we get the news that children keep dying local children right yes the quote is interesting. So they're talking about the, this thing of seeing a woman in a white dress and then kids going missing. Yeah. And actually, I had a ding-ding moment because Drusilla from Buffy, there's a very similar quote when they're reading about her uh, looking at Angel's past and they're reading about her and it's, it is that. And when we're introduced to Drusilla in Buffy, she's in a white dress. She's singing a song about being a lost little lamb to a little boy at a swing set. It's it's very much a similar setup. Like it's a very deliberate homage to sure. Lucy in this situation. Lucy eats kids now. Okay. Yeah, it's and it's another perversion as yes. well. Yes, she's right? also way hot or evil. Well, yeah, yeah, but this is a, I mean, mm. so is Mina, right? Yeah. When we, <laughs> but then this is part of the thing of the the seduction of Dracula mm. and of, of vampirism is that like he is sexually attractive, and this yeah. is I suppose a. a this is a thing that isn't so much in the novel. He does appear younger when he's eaten, mm. but he's not described as a handsome fellow. I think he's got a monobrow. Oh, wow. And um, uh, he's a sort of strong, sort of slightly Neanderthal-looking sort of fellow. Huh. Um, whereas Lugosi is, is a strikingly handsome chap. Yeah. I'm putting it out there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I always wondered where the monobrow came from. That makes sense. Because yeah. lots of paintings, illustrations, lots of cartoons have him as a monobrow. Well, um, I actually think that even the Count might have one um, from Sesame from Street. Count on Count from yeah. Sesame Street, yeah. Anyway, mm. the graveyard scene is beautifully done enough, but Simple John just ain't getting it. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't get anything that's happening. He's refusing to admit that any of it is real. I just, I worry for John. Well, he's, you know, I'm sure he is a nice, dependable Boring man. man. But he's mm. he's absolutely not up to the challenge that they're facing here. No. You know, um, especially when we compare him to, because we have the male figure of Van Helsing here as well, who in the next scene or so has the line, you know, I must be master here or I can do nothing when he's talking about yes, bat- basically battling Dracula, trying to save, yeah. save Mina. And you can't imagine Jonathan ever taking that kind of attitude. No. It's interesting that it's Wolfsbane and not Garlic. Um, that is the thing we looked at Wolfsbane before it came up it's Aconite, it came up in Ginger Snaps but garlic really is the staple do you remember from the book? I do not might be worth finding out two seconds I will find out so yes it is Wolfsbane here rather than garlic Yes. which seems to be a peculiarity of this film we talked about it in the Ginger Snaps context for uh, for werewolves, yeah. which seems to come from the later universal horror film of The Wolfman. Nice. From 1941. Yeah, yeah. B- but perhaps they got it for that because they'd already used it 
here mm. as a sort of sufficiently exotic sounding plant it's just an idea it's, it's a guess yeah but that it's the garlic was a little bit too quotidian a little bit too plebeian for, and they wanted something that was more exciting and exotic yeah and i just wondered if they couldn't find garlic in the for the prop department during a depression for whatever reason yeah and they were just like these weeds because no one would know what wolfsbane exactly i draw um, a wolfsbane plant you know no idea yeah, yeah. oh yeah. i love this this i would like to make into if i could mix dance tracks mm-hmm. i would do a very i would be very gothy with it obviously of it course. would be quite industrial and I would do, it came and stood beneath my window in the moonlight and promised me things. That whole chat oh, this is, is so gorgeous. This is it's Renfield, Renfield again. Yes. losing his mind. <laughs> Dracula being hot as anything. Yeah. And it's as we're about to witness him attempt to mind control Van Helsing. Yes, it's interesting how Dracula and Renfield seem to communicate by yes. some sort of some sort of telepathy, yeah. something something of the mesmeric nature. But it's it's in that line as well about what he promised and how he didn't say them things, but he showed them. I can't yeah. remember exactly what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. All of that. Yeah, yeah. It's just beautiful. Um, and I would happily mix it into some sort of very dark cello-based string. <laughs> beautiful stuff. Anyway, Van Helsing turns out he's really strong-willed. Yeah. Um, so when... Dracula tries to use his fancy dancy woo care step into my parlour stuff on him mm. and demands that he moves. Van Helsing manages to fight him off. Nobody yes. ever touches each other. Yeah. Mm. It's tense, even though it's in the work of the two actors who are who are yeah. doing a lot of work to convey this battle. Yeah, Dracula's being a wolf. On. Yeah. Mm. Dracula's being a wolf and Van Helsing's being a man hypnotised by a wolf. Yeah, but Van Helsing's a tough old fella. Yeah. You know, we have this... And he gets congratulated on mm. his willpower, like such yeah. a strong will. It feels like a promise to try and break that will. Of course it is. <laughs> um, yes, it's a, it's a threat. Yeah, my note on this is that oh, they sorry. both hold themselves as noblemen slash warriors. Yes. It's a duel, almost. And they are battle-scarred veterans, if you'd like. Yes. Uh, and this confrontation is, is sold almost entirely through their physical forms. But we have sexy Mina now mm. uh, in a lovely silk satin dress. Oh, that is glorious. Delicious neck. Ah, so yes, we do see her do that thing. So one of the classic things is kiss me, Jonathan. Right? <laughs> yeah. Let me kiss your face. Let me kiss you. You know, mm. she's always going for to get closer to a neck. Yeah. And then we go for some delicious neck. Yeah, Harker Jonathan is in t- is immediately taken in by her very, sus- to my eyes, to the you know the audience. Yeah. We look upon this transformation of of Mina very suspiciously. Yeah. But Jonathan is oblivious because he's uh, like, "Whoa, look at that!" Well, not even he doesn't even seem to be turned <laughs> on by her. He just sort of he just sort of accepts what she says when she says, "Oh, I'm feeling much better now." It was all very silly. Let's come and sit outside where the bats are. Um, <laughs> what he's just a lunatic! Like, oh, okay, okay. You know, I know he's, he's just sort of begging to be cuckolded by Dracula here. There yeah. is, he is so anemic and so easily led you never get the sense that he would stand if Dracula said you know clean my shoes he are would you just disappointed in Jonathan well yes a little bit why well he's he's a very weak fellow mm. yeah mm. 
We do get a lovely dolly shot, though, where yes. the camera... It's a small thing, but the camera's very mobile yes, it in this is. film, considering these are early sound cameras, which are absolutely enormous, hulking brutes of things that were kept inside crates to keep the noise of their own me- yeah. mechanisms down. They really move around, and they yeah dolly in on the couch on the veranda, you know, yeah. outside a couple of times. And it's a small thing, but it's... Carl Freund is the cinematographer mm. on here, who is Austrian by birth, mm-hmm. and started his career in the teens and 20s in, in the German film industry, and worked on the Paul Wegener film, The Golem, and is also a cinematographer on Metropolis, the, the Fritz Lang yeah. um, thing. So was a very experienced camera operator, cinematographer, by the time he came into this. And I think some of the German expressionist flavours and some of the ideas in some of the shots and I think from him and it makes sense that of course he would bring them through but he keeps he keeps the camera moving which is rare because it's often in early sound film you will have very static shots of characters declaiming their lines at each other from either side of the set yes and we still happens a little bit but not so much I'm also a big fan of the whole like weird novelty bit the kind of comedy moment that Mina is actually talking to a bat the whole time. <laughs> yes, and Jonathan doesn't notice. Cause no, because he's a, a fool. Fool, yeah. Well, an idiot, not a fool. I mean, Renfield is a fool. Renfield is a Shakespearean fool. Yes, and she's got the crazy eyes now because she's been talking yes. to bats. She's cracked and she wants the neck. I will say a lot of this does sound like it. they're speaking about sexual assault. The next mm. bit where we're all on the couch together and obviously I'm treading carefully because of recent events... Her weeping and Jonathan trying to get out of her what Dracula has done to her. He suspects there's been foul play. And the whole way she behaves is like she was taken advantage of in a compromising position. What actually comes out is he made me drink his blood because that's where we're at with it. Mm. But again, it's that sexual thing of like, is this something that she wants? As in to drink blood or to to drink his blood and be one with him and all that stuff. Probably not. Be his bride. Yeah. You know, for a thousand years. Probably yeah. doesn't want to be no, his bride for a thousand years. This is part years. of the this is part of the horror mm. of of the vampire, right? Of yeah. Dracula. And it's Hades myth as well, right? Um, oh. I would imagine. No. Go on. Um, the being dragged to hell to be the bride of oh. Satan, right? Oh, yeah. Um, for all time, imprisoned by a love match you didn't choose. Sure. Yeah, all that stuff. So mm. it's 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 ingrained in culture. We'll put it that. Yes. Way. Also, at a time. Way back when, when marriage didn't mean marriage. Marriage just meant sex, right? Sure. You know, um, briding, breeding. And then for some unknown reason, we have to get, he's crazy, (laughs) from that comic relief character again. What is he up to? Uh, Martin. Well, as I said, if if Renfield is the Shakespearean fool, then uh, Martin is the rude mechanical who comes in and falls over. He's likeable, but... um, but not yeah. by me, but yeah. <laughs> he does seem to exist almost entirely to deflate tension now yes. and again. And it leaves Mina looking properly ethereal, like she has fully gone. She had her moment of clarity, I think, talking to Jonathan and saying, oh, he made me drink. Mm. And now she's she's on the warpath a little bit. Yeah. We're on the staircase set and we sadly we lose Renfield. Yes. Because mm. mm. he was trying to save... Mina and trying to he had himself a moment of clarity I wonder if actually now I'm saying it out loud because Dracula yes he's a bat but he's not really in those scenes with that conversation 
mm-hmm. you know, where she's admitting everything. I wonder if trying to have the Battle of Wills with Van Helsing weakened him. Yes. And that's that why we sense. have both of them having their moment of questioning and fear. And then they switch back into full master mode. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I suppose also compare uh, Ma- Martin. Yeah, Martin's a crazy. Compare that yeah. to uh, Renfield's wonderful intervention earlier where he wanders in and he goes, This is a pretty crazy conversation for sane people to be having. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, he's he's aware and he's, he's fighting against it, but, and I suppose Renfield's condition could be seen as a barometer for Dracula's power. Yes, good point. There's a really gorgeous shot through the door when we see her being whisked away by Dracula. We see Mino get whisked away by Dracula to the catacombs, and they are definitely my favourite set, but when they're giving mm. chase... That lovely shot where he sort of pauses and then flees with Mina in his arms is just so nicely composed. Mm. And it is amazing timing as well that he just makes it through the door and they're like, damn, if only we could operate a door. You know, (laughs) they they get there, but it is still a bit of a a Scooby-Doo moment. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah, we're in this set of Carfax Abbey, the uh, large uh, pile that he's bought. So we're not back in Castle Dracula, but it does very much bring to mind the architecture it may be the same set redressed yeah and and that is the it's where the coffins are it's where the coffins are and it's the it's the the the, the visual similarity of the two is it's it's like the invasion of the ah, of dracula yes. you know of the of, of the foreign you know in, in among many other things dracula is the story of like fear of immigration and, yes. and invasion right Dead and right. and so here we have the the vampiric the dracula and all that he represents yeah. in a ruined abbey so in a in previously consecrated yeah. holy ground which he has now made his Hellish. own with his own soil you know he's literally brought the soil over right they have to sleep in their own true soil in the in the coffin yeah very good thank you he dropped his hat <laughs> And then Mina feels Dracula's pain, which is really interesting. Um, oh, yes. He gets hurt and she reacts because they're super connected mm. and all that. And then, iconic, right? We we stake the vamp. Yes, and this is interesting, the way this is staged. Mm. Because it is, in some ways it's anticlimactic because, of course, uh, it is Van Helsing who stakes him almost off screen. Yeah. Um, but we see his agonies through... Mina, as, as, as you said, which is, I like, it's nice. It's, yeah, me it's, too. It's a nicely done thing. Well, we never see Dracula fall from grace then. Mm. We never actually That's see true. him break the facade. He is dignified to the end because he can leech the feels out to yeah. Mina. Yeah. Mm. No, it's a good point. But I, I, yes, I think it's a very well done mm sequence but also I, th- I think it's a clever way of getting around what they could show and what they could yes. r- reasonably do yes i agree we're essentially at the end there because it really does just go bloop bye mm. he's dead you're all fine yeah they, they um, have the, the, jonathan and mina ascend the staircase to sort of wedding bells and then everything <laughs> seemed to be well yeah we're walking out of hell but you wanted to say there was a an epilogue so yes i understand that they originally filmed an epilogue from van helsing in in character sort of mm. like saying I'm paraphrasing, saying something along the lines of, you know, please, uh, before you go, uh, remember as you are making your way home from the theatre and as you sort of look out the window on a a dark and horrible night that uh, such things as you have seen are real and will frighten you. I'm 
you know, paraphrasing, but uh, but like the proper ending to the film was uh, this little epilogue from Van Helsing telling you to be afraid. Yeah, um, don't have sex with men. Don't have sex with men. Yeah. <laughs> Foreign men. Yes. So, you can have sex with with Jonathan. Um, <laughs> I guess, but not if you're Renfield. No, you can't have sex with men if you're if you're a man. Yeah. <laughs> I did want to just circle back briefly because that really is like boom the end but I wanted to circle back briefly and talk a little bit about the costume and specifically the cape that Dracula is wearing but I will say first I had it in my head that there was a rumour that Bela Lugosi did all of his own costuming and now I know where I've got it from it's quite interesting who was the man that played Dracula in the English in the English adaptation? Huntley. Raymond Huntley. Raymond Huntley. So Raymond Huntley played Dracula on the British stage. They couldn't get him for the film. But the rumours are actually that he had all of that costume at his house. Like, he just <laughs> happened to own all that stuff. It was a low-budget theatre production, and he had a very specific idea in mind of what it would look like. But nothing to do with Bela Lugosi. The, the thing that I've confused it with is that Bela Lugosi refused to let Jack Pierce, who's the makeup artist for Universal at the time, um, mm. touch his makeup. He'd and been doing it himself for years. Great. I mean, he did. Uh, he's also responsible for the Frankenstein, the Carla Frankenstein, the following year, and the Mummy. Who uh, Jack Pierce? Jack Pierce. Yeah. You know, what, yeah, I mean, yeah. what, like a just to sort of underline that uh, this guy's a real professional here. And well, it turns out the Widow's Peak was Jack Pierce. Ah. Uh, the Widow's the Widow's Peak hair is a toupee. Wow, I which did is not amazing. Know. Didn't uh, know. But yes, so he—it's grease paint, and it's designed to make him look pale and dead. And mm. then the toupee on top of that adds to the kind of overarching eyebrow moment. The costume is that of an aristocrat, and again talking about the medallion, but it's unknown who added what. The ring—he um, has a quite a big signet ring on one hand, and that was a big part of the costume for the stage play because there was a scene involving it. So it's another one that just crossed over. Prior to his death in 1956, Bella Lugosi gave the cape to his wife to give to their son, Bella Jr. What a name. <laughs> so that he could have the cape from the film. It was like a, he properly wanted him to take it and do what he wanted with it, but it was given to the wife, uh, Lillian, I think. The family buried Bella Lugosi in his Dracula costume, not because he requested it, which was the rumour, but because Lillian thought that he would really enjoy that. Like, he thought that would be a fun thing that he <laughs> yeah. would have wanted. Um, he was buried in a lightweight version of the cape that he used to wear to meet fans. So not the original one, but That's like, um, to do public appearances, yeah. When Lillian died, Bella Jr. got the cape and kind of it milled about in his house for a while. And later it was added to an auction called Icons of Hollywood in 2011, it was estimated at 1.5 to $2 million, but it didn't sell. And in an interview with Bella Lugosi's granddaughter, Lynn Lugosi Sparks, great name, she said that the experience made the family realise they didn't want the heirloom to go to like a private collection, so they donated it to the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures. Oh, wonderful. Um, it's being restored and fixed in 2019, but with an eye to actually put it out there. Mm. Oh, wonderful. There you go. Yeah, thank you. That's your facts. Oh, that was good. Um, <laughs> Thanks, surprise. No, I didn't mean that, of course. But, um, I mean, obviously fascinating. I mean, I'm pleased to know what happened to the cape. Yes. I've got the... the I wondered, because there are a few points in the film... We're talking about the play, as mm -hmm. we were. There are a few points in the film, like Renfield's speech about all of the rats mm. uh, that, that, that his master promised him. But there's a few... That's the one that I really noticed on the few other points where... 
action is described rather than seen. Yes. And I wondered if that was an artifact of it being a stage production. That makes sense, yeah. But it was only uh, it only had three sets the play. Mm. Three act play, three sets, very cheap. So there was a lot that that the film added in that was not that was described in in the play that is right, now right. seen. But I guess you have to pick your battles uh, with that and, yeah. and figure out what you can reasonably achieve. And I've no idea how anybody would do some of the, like, for instance, that scene, you know, with the rats outside, hundreds of rats outside the window. Yeah. I have no idea how you would convincingly put that on screen in 1931. And <laughs> even if you did, I think that the beautiful ambiguity of their communication is best preserved in yes. Renfield's narration. And also that Dwight Fry is a strong enough actor to to put it across. Yeah, he really is brilliant. Well. And the other thing about the play is that I read, according to uh, David J. Skull, who's written a great deal on this and also edited the Norton Critical ed- edition of the book, Dracula, mm-hmm. according to him, on stage as Dracula, because uh, Lugosi played the role on stage for a number of years before being in the film. Don't yeah. quite mention that. He was wearing bilious green makeup on, on stage, which is nice, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And I wonder if the idea of... Because now we think of them as white skinned and because they don't need to be you know you could have a pale green tinge yeah you just can't put that across on film and i wonder if this is another sort of artifact of black and white film interesting that, yes. you know with that we lose the sort of pale colored but how did we idea. know frankenstein was green a good question have i ruined your theory well <laughs> you have but it's good that you've ruined my theory because my theory wasn't any good <laughs> Yeah, we haven't we haven't mentioned the the high colour. Yeah, go for it. This wonderful thing about the stage roots of yeah. this Dracula film and of some of the costume, because as you said, came through from the stage version. Yeah, and as I said if you were to imagine if you were to draw Dracula, he would have a cape with a very high collar around yeah. his uh, his neck, which is there for the very practical reason of. A scene in the play where Dracula makes his exit. Uh, well, the actor playing Dracula makes his exit yep. by trap door, while the somebody else there, whoever they maybe somebody else on scene, is holding the cape and he disappears from the cape. And then presumably they produce a plastic bat or something. You know, yeah. There. But the he has his back to the audience, so the high collar will hide the actor's disappearing head. Yeah. Love through it. the tra- trap door from the from the audience, which I can I can understand. I can see that working on stage, but it meant that. That's why the colour is there, and but then that was tra- carried forward into the costume for the film, even though it has no stagecraft yes. practical purpose. It, it's just now part of the iconography, and of course it absolutely is. You know, any you go to any sort of dress-up shop, mm. and uh, if you if you get a vampire costume, it'll have the colour, yeah. and that is so that you can escape through a trapdoor. <laughs> yeah, and on, that's exactly as I intend stage. to use it when I finally get one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Beautiful. That is us. Indeed. <laughs> it's a very quotable voice, isn't it? Yeah. In fact, yeah, because the, the morning after they meet him for the first time at the Opera House when Mina and yes, Lucy are discussing she it, she does an impression of the voice. And it's the first, I was thinking, like, because I remember wondering, like, I wonder when that was, I wonder when the first person to do the vampire voice like that was. <laughs> yeah. And then... The my it was answered about five minutes later by going oh it's her it's in the film it's it's ten minutes it's fifteen minutes after we first hear it somebody else does it 
to truly die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <it's> great. Um, <laughs> yeah. That, but yeah, that's 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 Dracula. Uh, but it's it, it's a cracker. Yeah, it's, it's grand. It's, it's it's grand. You know, so much of it is so much of it is, is entered parlance as like so much of what we think of as as the vampire is 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 here is fully yeah. and i will say it's worth mentioning that we watched another dracula first we did we watched the 1958 not vincent price no um, it's um, the other ones it's uh, christopher lee yes we watched dracula. christopher lee as dracula and peter cushing as van helsing Hot, by the way, extremely attractive man, Peter Cushing in a velvet jacket. I will not forget. However, it's because of me that we didn't cover it for the episode. Ben is a fan, and I took a big old bird poop all over a film he really likes, but I didn't enjoy it, and I felt like this one had the stronger foundational narrative. Mm. That, no, and, and you're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, it's what we needed to kick off vampire season, in my opinion. So that we had the the rules, yeah, and we can go from there. Yeah, um, I mean, this is in a lot of ways the the definitive screen Dracula. Yeah, like still in a lot of ways, with all due respect to the Francis Ford Coppola one, which we will come to. But if it wasn't for this film, mm. then the Gary Oldman as Dracula would look different because absolutely, uh, you know, this absolutely. film sets up so much of what almost everything in the century near as damn it since yep. has been either based on or reacting to. Amazing stuff. They wouldn't have known. They just wouldn't have known. Thank you so much for listening. Yes. If you would like to get in touch with us at all about anything that we've talked about, or you want to bro out about films, or you just want to send us pictures of your vampire cosplay, please <laughs> send them to hauntedpicturepalace at gmail.com. We are up and about on Instagram at haunted underscore picture underscore palace if you want to check us out there you can subscribe so that you are always in the know when yep. there's a new episode out uh, on spotify or podbean or pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts and um next week we continue vampire season we have four weeks of vampire films and next week we delve into twilight we do indeed hmm Mm. <laughs> <laughs> which I haven't seen uh, so I'm and I'm, I'm very excited for Ben I'm to, looking forward to it to witness it I have seen it I boycotted it for 10 years and I saw it and I have opinions <laughs> many of them so it'll be a really an interesting episode I think um, yeah no I'm, I mean it I'm looking forward to it Twilight is our first film suggested by a listener showing I think in full glory that we are very prepared to take on listener participation oh, in we full glory. we're in full in full glitter in the sunlight glory we will take on your suggestions uh, they're always welcome we've actually watched a couple that people have suggested off the back of episodes we've already done and even if we're just sort of saving them for the episode bank they're just fun they're just enjoyable we like hearing from you so please do let us know in the comments underneath where you found this um in a review anything it's all going in yeah so until next time yeah uh you know don't have nightmares don't get bitten have fun goodbye goodbye Transylvania. It's just so. It's so. 
it's, it's such a doable voice. So doable. So doable. I can't think of any of them off the top of my head, but it doesn't matter. I'll just edit it. <laughs> my pen has a ghost. My pen has a ghost. Pen has a ghost. My pen has a ghost. What's happening for you? Am I frightening? Oh yeah. Yeah, but, but... you know that's just your vibe. <laughs> yeah. And it really does look like it. <coughs> and it really does Jack look like it's. There. I can't help it. The <laughs> habit is real. It's, it's a long time. Sorry. Um.